Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As listeners of our show know, or as new listeners may learn, each week a guest and I uh, unpack some of the mysteries of the Torah portion. The Torah portion is the weekly section of the five books of Moses, sometimes known as the Pentateuch, uh, that is read in synagogues throughout the Jewish world. This week, we have the unique opportunity to uh, listen and learn about the parashat Bereshit, the first parashah, the first weekly section in the Torah. As listeners learned last week, we read the portions in a cycle, beginning with Bereshit and ending with the last section of Deuteronomy. And then in order to enhance our learning, we begin all over again. So we are beginning all over again, and our portion is called Bereshit in the beginning, as it's usually translated in English. And let me give you a synopsis of this well-known story. God creates the world in six days. On the first day, he makes darkness and light. On the second day, he forms the heavens, dividing the upper waters from the lower waters. On the third day, he sets the boundaries of land and sea and calls forth trees and greenery from the earth. On the fourth day, God fixes the position of the sun, moon, and stars as timekeepers and illuminators of the earth. Fish and birds and reptiles are created on the fifth day, land animals, and then the human being on the sixth. And on the seventh day, the Torah tells us that God ceases work and sanctifies it as a day of rest. This Torah portion also tells us that God forms the human body from the dust of the earth and blows into the nostrils a living soul. Originally, the human is a single person, but it deciding that it is not good for humans to be alone, God takes a side from the human and forms it into what the Torah calls a woman, Isha, and they marry each other. Of course, this is not the conclusion of this important Torah portion. We continue with stories that are well known to each of you. Adam and Eve, the first individuals, are placed in the Garden of Eden and commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The serpent, according to the text, persuades Eve to violate this commandment, and she shares the forbidden fruit with her husband. Because of their sin, it is decreed that they will experience death, returning to the soil from which they were formed, and that all will gain will come through struggle and hardship. Humanity is banished from the garden. The Torah portion ends with the story of Cain and Abel. The two first children, Cain argues with Abel and murders him and becomes a rootless wanderer. And a third son, Seth, is born to Adam. Seth's eighth-generation descendant, Noah, begins the next Torah portion. And our Torah portion identifies him as Ish Sadoik Badoroto, the only righteous man in a corrupt world. 
With me this morning to help me unpack and discuss this Torah portion is Rabbi Bennett Miller, who is the Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Anshe Emmet in New Brunswick, New Jersey. He completed 44 years of rabbinic leadership in 2018, and since then, as I've said, he continues in his role as Rabbi Emeritus. He helped uh, this nationally known congregation move from strength to strength. In addition to his responsibility at Anshayameth Congregation, he served two terms as national chair of the Association of Reformed Zionists of America, and he continues to devote time and leadership to Reform Zionism in North America and Israel. He is also the founder of the Artsa Herzl Society. He has devoted his life to working with young people, having mentored numerous men and women who have gone on to careers in professional Jewish life. He has encouraged many young people to spend a semester of high school studying in Israel in the Reform Movement's High Quality Immersion Program at Kibbutzuba. It is a great pleasure to welcome Rabbi Miller to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Steve Garden. It's great to see you again. It is wonderful to see you. As listeners know, sometimes I'm uh, thrilled to be able to welcome longtime friends, and Rabbi Miller and I met a long time ago, uh, when we uh, were not yet rabbis, but were uh, counselors at a summer camp. That's right. I don't know that I can count that high to uh, remember how far back it was. Uh, You and I have the luxury of beginning our conversation of the Torah portion this year, and we're going to start with uh, Genesis uh, 1 verse 26, and I'm going to read it for our listeners. Those of you who have a copy of the Old Testament or the Pentateuch can follow with me. Uh, I'm reading from chapter 1, 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And Um, They shall rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, and uh, the whole earth, and all the creeping things that crop on earth. And God created man in his image, and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fertile and increase. Fill the earth and master it and rule the fish of the seas and the bird of the sky and all the living things that creep on earth. And it continues, God said, see, I give you every seed bearing plant that is upon earth and every tree that is seed bearing and they shall be your fruits. And to all the animals on land, to all the birds of the sky and to everything that creeps on earth. Uh, in which there is breath of life, I give all the green plants for food. And it was so. 
And God saw that all that had been made and found it very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Well, that's a lot. So let's begin there. Um, this seems to be about um, the creator um, speaking to uh, us about how the world was uh, originated. Um, now, is the Torah trying to teach us a lesson in science or a lesson in theology? So it's a good question to ask. Um, as you know, science is all about cause. Why does something happen? What's the what, what, what's the cause of it? And when science looks at the at, at the world, it looks to see how did it come into existence. What, what were the various causes for its existence and for its continued existence? But faith or religion doesn't ask about cause. Faith or religion is looking to answer the question of meaning. Not how did the earth come into existence, but why? Meaning for Whoever, in this case God, created the world, and for us, what meaning does the creation of the world have for us in regard to our own existence? So let me share with you just a, a couple of definitions to help us in this. Um, theology, since you mentioned it, theology is the study of the nature of God. Why does God behave the way that God does? And the truth, of the, the truth is we don't know the answer to that question, but we love to try to figure it out anyways because it in turn helps us to understand who and what we are. Faith is our grounding, our worldview, why we do what we do. We look to faith to help us to understand why we behave the way in which we do. Religion. And by the way, I, I really believe this one. Religion is nothing more and nothing less than the institutionalization of our faith in relation to our theology. It is the vehicle or the tools that we use to bridge the gap between our understanding of the nature of God and our own personal or ethical behavior. Okay, so for our purpose, we are, you and I, two rabbis sitting here talking together to who knows how many people who are listening to us, we are in a conversation about what are the primary sources that we use to understand why we behave the way we do and why the world operates or works in the way in which it does. And the two primary sources are memory and personal insights. So if I could, if I want to interrupt just for a moment. Yep. Um, the, the section of the Torah, the section of the five books of Moses, Pentateuch, that we're discussing yep. is fundamental to many uh, monotheistic traditions. Absolutely. Um, and both Christians and uh, Muslims 
uh, revere this book, uh, as well as the Jewish people. And many people who affirm faith um, affirm faith in a much more literal manner than you've suggested. Often through their religious in, or institutional understanding of what that faith is all about. And so that does, if we move, if we accept that understanding, it's not the text that changes, it's the personal insight or the institutional interpretation of the text that changes. Yep. Um, the text remains constant. Right. The text doesn't have to change. Okay. It's because you and I, as we go throughout our lives, we're the ones who change. And so we look at the text and we seek to derive new meaning from it based upon our memory, based upon our experience. In the beginning, memory is all from our tradition. This is what happened to my, my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, going for us as Jews, going all the way back in time to Abraham and Sarah and how the rabbis have interpreted that. For Christians, going all the way back in time, but at a very critical moment where Jesus enters the world and shifts the understanding, and then the church fathers carry that out, and the same with the Muslim tradition. What's most important, we understand that we live in a world that doesn't make sense. And so we come from our faith traditions or our religious traditions that help to guide us to make sense out of that which doesn't make sense. And the Torah is our guide to attempting to make sense out of the incomprehensible. Yes, with this one caveat. It is our guide as understood by the heirs of our tradition who have imparted it to us. In, in, that's in a narrow sense. In a larger sense, the heirs of our tradition, but also from other traditions or from other sources, uh, which enables us to be able to richly um, look at the text from a variety of different perspectives and gain enormous insight into the meaning of our own lives. The, the, the text, that world itself doesn't change, but our lives do. And, and so for you as a rabbi um, who affirms a more um, modern interpretation of the text based on readings of the tradition, the text doesn't lose its impact because it is more than just a literal collection of um, an unscientific discussion of the creation of the world. In fact, if I understand you correctly, um, categorizing it in the same way as you categorize science causation does a disservice to the text. Um, it limits the text. That's right. It limits the text. That's a good way to phrase it. Yeah, it, it, it limits the text. The, re the religious thinker or the religious mind 
expands on the text in in ways that are limitless. Okay, so here's so an it's counterintuitive. The more you limit the text, the more it limits your faith. Right. And the more you expand the, your understanding of the text, the greater the possibility is of faith in ever-changing circumstances. Have I got you right there? Yeah. So here's another way to look at it. Um, for the Greeks, they didn't they didn't use texts. They used symbols, okay, statues, gods. They were all very limited. Okay, so what you what you saw was what you got. There wasn't a whole lot more to it than that. But for the followers of the Torah text, um, we can look at it 352 days a year, and we're going to have different a different meaning for it every one of those days, depending upon the circumstances of, uh, of our lives and the experiences that we have. Um, and, uh, and that's what makes it so rich. I read for our listeners this section, um, which concludes chapter, tw- chapter one of the book of uh, Genesis. And with this introduction into faith and religion yep. and theology, um, how do you understand the text's um, intentionality of placing so much responsibility into the hands of humanity? I mean, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. The text begins with, um, without trying to enter into a conversation of translation, the text begins by telling us God creates the world. And so God as the creator seems to be um, the omnipotent, all-powerful entity. But at the end of chapter 20, uh, the end of chapter one, God seems to transfer responsibility to human beings. I think I've read that correctly. Yeah, you did. So go ahead. No, and so I want you to help our listeners understand um, that transition and the meaning of that transition as you understand it. So um, you and I both know a, a, a great midrash that relates to this, in which um, God is contemplating the creation of Adam, the first primordial human being, and God says in the text, let us make Adam in in the divine image. Who's God talking to? Right? And the answer is, God's talking to the angels. Okay. But the Midrash is that the angels are divided over the answer to the question. Some of the angels say, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's create a human being. The human being will bring all kinds of wonderful gifts to, you know, to, to the reality of the world in which we're going to live. Kindness, justice, um, mercy, all of the parts of, of God that we would hope that 
humanity will bring to the world and will create an unbelievably beautiful world, will continue to perpetuate that world that God you have created. The other half of the angels line up and say, <laughs> don't do that. Because <laughs> if you do that, you're out of your mind. Because the, what will human beings do? They will bring the other parts that we won't, that we don't want. Avarice, um, anger, um, power, control. Um, they won't care about human beings. And by the way, we, you know, we, we kind of witness this every day. Just take a look at, at all of the governments that we have. They, they range. Some days we, we go, wow, these are governments that are really terrific that do all kinds of wonderful giving things and, and, and really raise humanity to its highest heights. And then on the other hand, we see, kind of as we're witnessing today, um, you know, with, with uh, what's going on in Ukraine, you know, that there's no concern at all for human beings. The, the concern is just about power and, and, about, and, and exercising control. And ultimately, the Midrash is suggesting that God has to struggle with this. And that God says, despite everything, I'm going to take the risk and put human beings in the position of mastering the earth they will have to figure out what that means because once I create them, I lose control. And so they have to figure out what does it mean to be masters of the earth? Does it mean caretakers, protectors, or does it mean you do whatever you want with all of the other creations that I have made? And in both cases, you live with the consequences of the decisions that you make because I am separating myself out from being actively in control of it because otherwise all that I've created are puppets on a string and that's not what I want to create in human beings. So, I mean, it's a wonderful midrash for listeners who are unfamiliar with the term. Midrash is a uh, a homiletical tool used by the ancient rabbis of Jewish tradition to answer questions that are raised in the text by the sparseness of the language and to um, use the medium of uh, literary device to answer questions. Um, they don't have, the Midrash doesn't have the impact of sacred text, but its longevity has helped us use them and to understand them as insights passed down through tradition. And Rabbi Miller has quoted a, a well-known midrash, which leads to, I suppose, um, serious questions about if God creates the world and, and then withdraws so that we fill the earth with our humanity, um, with our um, divine um, sense of right and wrong, um, it leads to all the questions about where is God when tragedies occur. And our show this morning can't address that, but we should acknowledge that you've raised that right at the beginning of our reading of Torah. So, um, I suppose where we might, though, go 
is does humanity understand its obligation from this section of Torah? Does the Torah seem to suggest that in giving us the notion of free will, um, it is inbred within the very essence of who we are as people to um, contemplate right and wrong uh, and to understand what our actions, uh, the consequences of our actions. So here I, I want to quote our teacher for, for the listeners who are here. Rabbi Garten and I both um, served as assistant rabbis to Rabbi Harvey Fields uh, of blessed memory, who at one time was the senior rabbi here in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and and then went on to be the senior rabbi of Holy Blossom Temple in, in Toronto. And um, Rabbi Fields addresses the question with the following words. He says... The Jewish people introduced a revolutionary theory about the creation of the heaven, earth, and human life. Unlike the other ancient stories which attribute all that was created in the heavens and on earth to numerous gods, the Torah begins by teaching that one God alone created everything. It puts forward the idea that creation is quote-unquote good that the world and the galaxy of stars in which it spins are not a random accident, but have a unique design and purpose. Furthermore, the Torah teaches that human life is a result of God's will, and human beings are not toys of the gods. Instead, human beings are created in God's image. They have choices and can exercise freedom. They are partners with God in shaping life and preserving the world. Echoing the Torah's creation story, the psalmist, the biblical poet, not only captures the mystery of God's creation, but also elaborates the role and responsibility of human beings when the psalmist says, O God, how majestic is your name throughout the earth, you who have covered the heavens with your splendor. When I behold your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place, what are human beings that you have been mindful of them, mortals that you have taken note of them, that you have made them little less than divine and adorned them with glory and majesty? You have made them, meaning us, master over your handiwork, laying the world at their feet. Well, as one would expect Rabbi Fields often was able to capture the majesty of the biblical text in uh, poetic form, and he allows us to recognize that through the chapter we call the chapters we call Bereshit, which are very inclusive of many famous stories, it is essentially uh, not a story of how the world was created but it is essentially uh, the beginning of how humanity, of how we primordial beings uh, and the divine uh, begin our relationship. Um, 
I can't think of a better way to uh, begin our conversation of Torah. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Bennett Miller, Rabbi Emeritus of Anshe Emmet Congregation in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I want to thank him for joining with us. Um, you can listen to a podcast of this morning's show on chri.ca website or on iTunes, or you can see a uh, conversation visually on YouTube. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you shalom and a good day. <laughs>